Praise the Lord. Thank you, Father God, for a powerful time of worship. And God, you have taken our tears this morning and our anguish and our pain. And you've translated it into worship. A spectacular outpouring of your compassion and your love for your children. I wish the world could have experienced that. God, you're mighty. You're mighty. Amen. You're almighty. And we thank you for that. And I know, Lord, that you've given me this sermon for this moment. We despaired even of life. How more appropriate could this sermon be than this morning, Lord? How more appropriate? Baked in the oven of heaven. Translated into the bread of life, so to speak. To give to us to eat this morning. Powerful. Overwhelming. You know the season and the time that we're in. And the ministry of tears have flowed this morning in this church. And God, you've not dismissed us, but you've embraced us like a father. We thank you. And I thank you, Lord, this morning that you would give me the strength and the boldness and the love. And all the emotion that goes with this to preach this moment. This message you've given to me for your people, for your church. And I'll give you the glory and the honor and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We despaired even of life. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. Who doesn't have trouble nowadays? Who doesn't have pressure and affliction? Who doesn't experience anguish and burden? persecution, tribulation. Who doesn't feel crowded, narrowed in? Who doesn't feel pressed in on? I have to say, I believe in this room, I think we all are experiencing that this morning. Paul the Apostle, a great man, a great preacher, a great leader, a great apostle, said we would not have you ignorant, brethren, of our trouble, which came to us in Asia. We were pressed, weighed down, burdened. The word pressed means accused. Where's your God? It means through the notion of going down. It's like you're in the ocean and you're Drowning and there's no lifeline. 
It's an abundant load. That's what the word pressed means. But not only pressed, but pressed out of measure. Far more exceeding than we ever thought. To throw beyond the usual mark. To surpass and exceed anything we've experienced before. To be cast down and out. It actually means dung. D-U-N-G. Like we feel like we're just a piece of junk on the side of the road. That people run over. It means to pour out like a drop of water on a hot day. And the sun just consumes it. This is what Paul's saying. He's saying, above strength, pressed out of measure. Measure. Like someone tossed us to the side and abandoned us. (laughs) The word above strength means to not be capable, strong, or powerful at that moment. It almost seems like this is above God's power and resources to produce a miracle in our life. And the enemy comes to accuse. He's the accuser of the brethren. It's a spirit. It's a spirit of accusation. It's demonic. And the man of God is saying... The Spirit is speaking to us and saying, well, where is your God? Look at you, man of God. Where's your great experience on the Damascus Road? Where's the great light you saw? Where is it? Pressed out of measure above strength. Above strength. This is the big one, God. The enemy comes and says, I don't think you can even handle this one, Lord. I think this might be beyond you, Lord. That the Bible says that we despaired even of life. Come on, Paul, you're a Christian. Oh, Christians aren't supposed to be in this emotional state. We're supposed to walk on water. Amen. We're just supposed to say the name of Jesus and everything will be okay. Sometimes it ain't. We need to come to a prayer meeting and then it's all going to be done. If we sing an extra song or an extra chorus, that'll take care of it. Despaired, which means what? To be utterly at a loss. (laughs) To be despondent, out of place, time, or course. To feel like I have nothing to count on. I have nothing to lean on. It's the idea of sudden motion. It's like all of a sudden... You're in a vehicle, and unexpectedly, bam! What happened? What's going on? Where am I? And you feel like 
It's slow motion. It feels like it happened so fast. But in your mind, it's like slow motion. And you're hopeless and helpless at the moment to find the rescue, to find the lifeline, to get the help that you need at that time. It means to be utterly destitute. It means to be pierced through. Yeah. Devil comes not just to put an affliction, not to cause you trouble. I used to tell the people in the prison church, punch me in the stomach and I can get over that. But attack my mind and my character and my personality. It becomes a memory embedded in my spirit that now I have to fight demonic forces. Despair means to be utterly destitute of measure or resources to help. It actually means to renounce all hope and say these words, I don't think I'm going to make it. People indict us sometimes and say, well, you're Christians. You're supposed to have the light. You're the Jesus people. Oh, yes, we are. But we don't walk on water. On my back, unless you've not noticed the sign, even as a pastor, still under construction. Don't examine me. Examine you. That's what the Bible says when you take the cup. Let a man examine himself. Don't put me on trial. Put yourself on trial. And find out where you are. There's times in life, it seems like you are far removed from your faith for a moment. It's like you don't believe that this is actually happening in your life. You try to go to bed and wake up and say, it must be a dream, I dreamt. But you begin to realize that it's a reality. It's a momentary blow in the spiritual boxing ring of life and you got your bell rung. And your eyes are rolling and your legs are like rubber and your arms fall to your side and you stagger and you group in the dark hoping to hear the bell to get to the corner. To have someone speak into your spirit and say, you're the champ. You're the champ. Circle left, sting like a bee and float like a butterfly. You're the champ. Looking for one person to come in your corner and splash some water on your face and put some medication to cut over the cut, to remove the cut from bleeding and say, you are the champ. Get out there. You're the champ. Paul was looking for someone because the great burden of a preacher and the great burden of a pastor is not the burden for just his immediate family, it's the burden for his church. That behind the scenes you don't see the, the, the preparation and the tears and the emotion and the pain and the torment and the fight with demons. 
people don't see that. They just see a man dressed in a suit with a nice tie on Sunday morning and think, hey, I could do that. (laughs) Hey, I could do that. What's so hard? Look at him. He makes it look really easy. You see, in that spiritual boxing ring, when you get your bell rung and you're in that despair, you start to cover up. It's like falling down a flight of stairs that you have no power over. But momentum is taking you down to the bottom and you're helpless and you're hopeless and that feeling overwhelms you. Does anybody understand the state that I'm in? That's what Paul is saying. Does anybody understand? Will God help me? I need someone to help me. Is there anyone out there that will help me? And not condemn me. Please God, come to my aid. Come to my side and speak into my being. I hurt all over and my tears overwhelm me. My mind is tired and my soul is weary. My spirit is thirsty for a glass of water that will make this go away. I'm overwhelmed. The pressure is great and it seems to be getting greater. There are too many decisions. There are too many expectations. There are too many answers to look for. And where do I begin when I'm in the boxing ring and I got my bell rung spiritually? Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil, Paul said. Diotrephes came and played havoc in the church, divided my congregation. Brute beasts, Paul said, came against me. The thorn in the flesh, the demon that followed me to condemn me and say, you're no man of God, you're a murderer, a blasphemer. I had to fight day and night. And three times, Lord, I sought you to tell me to get rid of this demon. And it wouldn't go. It followed me and condemned me. Now, God, I despair even of life. Does anyone hear me? Does anyone understand the judgment I receive from others? Oh, Apollos is a better preacher. Cephas is a better preacher. We want him. We don't want you. That's what you usually receive from other people. Their ideas and their religious ideas and their answers that amount to nothing that will edify and build your spirit. No depth, no feeling, no friendship, only despair. As if we don't have enough despair. That people come into our sheepfold and jump the fence and defecate on our feet like sheep and cows in a sheepfold. And leave their smell with us. And Paul's groping. And he's saying, this is exactly what's happened to me. How do I get out, God? And will I be able to face tomorrow? Paul was saying, I despaired even of life. I weep for an answer. And there's too many questions. Lord, there's not many answers. And my life is in one word, pressure. Pressure. Come up with the answer, preacher. Come up with the sermon, man of God. Come on, come up.
come up with that perfect counseling moment. Paul is saying, I have no solutions at this moment. How do I please people? I myself am spiritually paralyzed with despair and anguish. What did the Apostle Paul do in that moment of despair? I guess the answer needs to be found. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, the ruling, the ruling comes down from heaven. The judge has judged the situation for Paul. I'm waiting for the envelope, God. I'm waiting for the legions of angels. I'm waiting for one person to come and tell me they love me. I'm waiting for one person, like the Shunammite woman in the Old Testament, when asked the question, even asked the question, how are you, woman of God? How are you? Do you care about what I'm going through? And she said, as her dead son laid upon the prophet's bed in her house, she said, it is well with my It's hard to speak those words sometimes, my friend. It's hard to speak those words of faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 9 says this, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead. This is the verdict. This is the answer Paul's looking for. This is it. This is the envelope from heaven. This is going to diminish my despair and my anger and my anguish. This is the lifeline. This is the telephone call that's going to give me the answer. A sentence. But we had the sentence of death. This is a conclusion by a judge. A jury has voted. This is the answer. It's like Paul is saying, God, you're allowing this? Paul comes to the conclusion that this is a higher up decision that's out of my hands. And Paul is saying, God has given me a response that this trial and this hardship, when he says that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raises the dead, there's some answer in this word from God. There's some revelation. And Paul is saying, okay, God, what's the revelation? You've given me the sentence of death. You've allowed this despair and this anguish in this moment of trial. You've allowed me to be in the spiritual boxing ring and I'm getting my bell rung and I'm getting the snot beat out of me. And you tell me, that we should not trust in ourselves. Okay, God, translate. It's just common men's language, women's language. God is saying, don't boast what you can do for yourself, but wait for salvation, which is deliverance, and wait with it for it with joy and confidence that I will come and help. But God, I don't see it. I 
don't understand it. I can't hold it. It's not a substance. I'm fighting every demon on every side. The care of the church, the trials and tribulations, the pain, the horror, the terror, the anguish in the middle of the night, the attacks, stand in proxy. Okay, God, this is the revelation that you've put this, allowed this sentence to come upon me. You're telling me not to trust in myself. And you're saying what? But in God, which raiseth the dead. What does it mean to raise it from the dead? It means to awaken and rouse from sleep, from the sitting position, from the lying down position, from obscurity, from inactivity, from ruins. Sometimes our life becomes a pile of rubbish and ruins like in the book of Nehemiah. But we have to build upon the ruins because God is looking for the man and the woman of God even in despair and even in anguish to pull us out of the rubbish and to pull us out of the the ruins and have a trowel in one hand and a brick in the other and a prayer coming out of our mouth and saying, we will build the wall. The Bible says, but in God which raises the dead, you know what that means? Bring me out of non-existence, God. And give me a moment to collect my thoughts spiritually. Give me a moment to gather. I told the church on Wednesday evening that this movie actress and model was on a boat in the ocean with her husband, And I believe they recently got married in January and she had two puppies in the boat. And the puppies somehow got out of the boat and got into the water. And she loved those puppies so much that she dove into the water. And as her husband looked, he he saw the struggle. Some people never see your struggle because they're so consumed with themselves. Egocentricity. Selfishness. The world revolves around them. She jumped in the water. And her husband knew immediately she was in danger. As she was going down, he jumped in. I can't imagine the anguish. I can't imagine the pain of being newly married and seeing your wife go down into that water struggling for her life, struggling to breathe, struggling to stay alive. And you can't get to her. And the water consumes her and drowns her. This is what Paul is saying. Because when he says, which raises the dead, it's a corpse. And sometimes you feel like a corpse. That's right. You feel numb. People say, how do you feel? Pick me with, prick me with a pin. I don't think I could feel it. You feel wasted. 
You feel like this is the end. I'm in the water. There's not a raft, there's not a rope. And there's nobody flying around to see if I'm struggling. <laughs> Paul saying, okay, God, I'm not going to trust in myself because I don't have nothing. <laughs> I have absolutely zero. I don't have a yellow pad with a pen to put the next ten things down on how to help myself. I'm all out of ideas. This fire is on every side. The wagon trains have surrounded me. The enemy is plummeting me. Fiery darts are coming at me. And I don't have the power and the strength to hold up my shield. He says in 2 Corinthians 2.9, he fell in the message version, he says, we felt like we had been sent to death row. That was all over for us. As it turned out, it was the best thing that could have happened. Instead of trusting in our own strength or wits to get out of it, we were forced to trust God totally. Not a bad idea since He's the God who raises the dead. What's He saying? The ruling came down from above. I had to experience this period in my life. I don't like it. Listen, let me say something to you. I used to remind the church that I preached in the prison for over two decades, and I used to tell my parishioners this. Things didn't even work out for God the way he expected, and then get their attention. I said, what do you mean, Pastor? I said, you know, he created this beautiful angel, Lucifer. He was the choir leader in heaven. He was the worship leader in heaven. Man, he had a commanding spot. He heard the angels sing. He saw the presence of God. He, he saw the cherubims and the seraphims and the angels of God 24-7. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. But one day he got the idea that I'm going to take my boss's job. I could do better. I'm going to undermine him. And I'm going to go around talking to angels. And I have so much influence in this place called heaven then I'm going to sit down and have some coffee with angels. Hey, what do you think about God? What's your position? Are you a lowly angel? Hey, how come you're not Michael? Hey, Kim, how come you're not Gabriel? Come on, how, what's, what's going on here? You think it's fair? You think it's fair that you just are, are a lowly angel? And he was able to convince one-third did God originally intend that? Did God not want unity even in heaven? Did God want an insurrection in his own church? And Jesus said, I saw Satan, like lightning, get thrown out of heaven. And he took one third of the angels. You see, sometimes things don't always work out the way we want. But it will work out the way God wants it. If we stay faithful to Him and give Him our despair, our rubber legs, and our arms that are down to our side. It says in 2 Corinthians 2.10, Who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver in whom we trust that He will yet deliver me. What's Paul saying? 
I'm going to get out of this. And God will deliver me. And God did deliver me. But did I like what I went through? No, I did not. Because this was like a flood that came toward me. But God turned on the faucet in heaven. And God turned on the river in heaven. And God started flowing toward me, even in my torment, even in my terror, even in my anguish, even in my panic attacks. The blood of Jesus was shed for my deliverance. And Paul was now experiencing such a great deliverance. He said in 2 Corinthians 2.10, the same verse in the message version, it says, and he did it, rescued us from certain doom, and he'll do it again, rescuing us as many times as we need rescuing. It's not a one-time deal. It's not a one-time trial. It's not a one-time tribulation. It's not a one-time despair. It's not a one-time anguish. And as time moves on, they'll become more frequent. It's important for the church community to be together. It's important for the church community to be shoulder to shoulder. Because where else can you seek love and where else can you seek comfort? From the world? The world that God delivered us from? From the bars and the nightclubs and the nonsense that he delivered us from? Are we going to go there to get comfort? Is it in a bourbon or a vodka? Is that what it's about? Is it in a needle? Is it in a, a smoke, a marijuana? People are being deceived. Trying to rescue themselves out of their own despair and their own anguish and they don't even know it. They're in the ocean and they're drowning. What's the answer, Pastor? There's a number of us in this room this morning as a church who are in pain. And there's a number of people that will listen to this on the internet and view it that are in despair and anguish as I preached last week of a young 14-year-old boy taking his own life. You see, we sit where we sit and we say, well, I'll never get to that point. I'll never get there. But sometimes we become so consumed. We become so inundated with pain that people look for that escape because they're at wit's end. What do we do? The Lord let me write this. Many voices... Make great prayer. And as we heard from the teens and their teacher who went to view the film concerning abortion, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 2.11, and Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, you also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. What's it saying? 
helping together, co-auxiliary, assistance, being in union with or together by prayer, our petitions, our requests. Touch my sister. Touch my brother. God, you know what they're going through. You know their turmoil. You know they're in the boxing ring. You know they got their bell rung. You know they're in the ocean and they're drowning. Many voices make great prayers. That for the gift, the gift, what is it? A gratuity is a gift. It's a deliverance from danger. It's a spiritual endowment. It means to be granted a favor. It's the divine influence upon the heart and it's reflection in the life. It's gratitude and joy. Thank you, God, that people are praying for me. Thank you that people care. Thank you that people are inquiring. Many voices make great prayers. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2.11 in the message version, it says, you and your prayers are part of the rescue operation. Like those people outside that gate in that abortion clinic for years. They prayed and saw no results. Every Saturday morning, they knocked on the door. Paul is saying the same thing. You and your prayers are part of what? The rescue operation. I don't want you in the dark about that either. I can see your faces even now, Paul is saying. Lifted in praise for God's deliverance of us. A rescue in which your prayers played such a crucial part. What was Paul saying? If it wasn't for your prayers, I would have been consumed. Prayers. Prayers. Not opinions. Not your counseling. Not your fair words. Not the little verse that comes out of the bread box on your table. No. Prayers. Intercession. Beseeching God. You see, my friend, when we're in despair and anguish, especially we need a support system. And there must be a partnership. The Bible says in Proverbs 15, 22, without counsel, purposes are disappointed, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. We need each other. No man is an island. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 4, 9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. There's strength in numbers. Many voices make great prayers. And we can never lose sight of that. Because when we do, we will be derailed and we will find ourselves on the outside of the circle and not on the inside of the circle. Luke chapter 8 and verse 1 said this, And it came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. Support, partnership, union, and certain women, which many preachers never preach. 
which had been and certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils, and Joanna, the wife of Shusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others, many others, which ministered unto him of their substance. Women followed Jesus. Women walked with Jesus. Men walked with Jesus. And they were his partners. They were his partners. They were a blessing. Not a curse like we heard on our video this morning. We can either bless or we can curse. We can either speak into each other's spirit and edify and build. Or we can tear down and curse the spirit of the individual. (laughs) Don't leave your servant behind. The man of God found out in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Here's a man that called fire down from heaven. Here's a man that slew 450 prophets of Baal. And you would think, okay, man of God, you are strong. You got it together. How many books have you written? How many television programs have you been on? How many places have you been a guest in someone's pulpit, man of God? You are famous. But when Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. In other words, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to get you. I'm going to put the real sentence of death on you, man of God. I'm going to get even with you for what you've done to my false prophets. And when he saw that, He arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. Don't leave your servant behind. Don't leave behind those that love you and pray for you and care for you. And sometimes as a pastor, I've put up with your nonsense. Don't don't leave that person behind. Because that's an important person that God's put in your life as the authority of your life. What does the Bible say? Submit to those that have the rule over you. Submit to them. Submit to the authority of the church. He left his servant behind and he he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And what was his request? He requested for himself that he might die. This is despair. This is anguish. This is the end of the line. I'm at the end of my rope. Don't even think about rescuing me, God. Let the coconut fall from the tree and hit me on the head and kill me. Let it be quick. Because he said these words, it is enough. It's enough now. Oh Lord, take away my life for I am not better than my father's. This man's in pain. This man's all by himself. He left his servant behind. The one that was accompanying him, two is better than one. And now he feels forsaken. And out of his mouth as a prophet of God, one of the most famous prophets in the Old Testament. It says in 1 Kings 19 and 5, and as he lay and slept under a juniper tree. I'm ready. I'm ready to come home. 
And God's looking down and he's saying, we need an angel ASAP. Forget the memo. Forget the text. Forget the phone call. We need an angel ASAP. Somebody, report. Sir, yes, sir. And the Bible says, behold, an angel touched him and said unto him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was a cake baked on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and he laid him down again. Mm. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and he did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. I want to tell you, my friend, when you're in trouble, praise God, like Stephen when he was being martyred, Jesus no longer remained sitting at the right hand of God. He stood up as Stephen looked and the heavens opened and he says, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. God will send an angel. God will send a cake. God God will send a cruise of water. God will send another person to come and comfort you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Don't give up, man of God. Don't give up, Elijah. Don't give up, woman of God. It might look bleak. It might look dark. And the clouds have covered you. And your home looks like it's just one bloody mess. God is still obligated to us even if everyone else forsakes us. The covenant is always in place in our life even though anyone else loves us. It's like the videotape some weeks ago when the man of God said, even if my wife stops loving me, I know that God will always love me. That might not be much comfort to you this morning. But to know that I'm still in the hands of God, even when I'm shaky, even when I'm in turmoil, even when I'm in dismay, even when I'm struggling emotionally, mentally, spiritually, I have to rely on the message that God's there even in the darkest moment of my life. Amen. In the message version it says in 2 Corinthians 1.12 Now that the worst is over we're pleased that we can report that we've come out of this with conscience and faith intact and can face the world and even more importantly face you with our heads held high. But it wasn't by any fancy footwork on our part It was God who kept us focused on him, uncompromised. Numerous times in the ministry, sometimes too many to recall, my wife and I and my family were in the boxing ring. And there was times when I got my bell rung. And so hateful, some hateful things happened to us in the ministry. Hateful. I used to think that everyone that came to church was a Christian. How naive I was. 
I used to think that everyone walked through the door loved God, how stupid I was, naive as a pastor. Because tears grow among the wheat. They become revealed eventually. And I remember a space of three months. I was fighting for my spiritual life in a depression. Wondering what happened. Wondering why I was going through what I was going through. But a faithful wife, my faithful brother and sister at the time, and a faithful friend watched over me. I remember a time when my closest friend at that time who owned an oil company, I worked for him. And his little daughter, four or five years old, was killed. I'll never forget the phone call I got in Staten Island from his wife, Marianne. Pastor, screaming. Joanna is dead. I got in my car and I went out to Long Island. And Otto was standing on the porch. Pastor. What despair, what anguish, what pain. For one year, I left the ministry. I went out to Long Island as my wife was in Staten Island with my son. And I went to work. He said, Pastor, I need you. I had a mind for numbers and business. You need to help me, Pastor, my business, my family. And I went out there and spent days, weeks, and months <laughs> visit the cemetery <laughs> why pastor I don't know I don't know <laughs> I don't know I partnered with him he's my brother A beautiful person, a beautiful family that took us in when we had nowhere to go. I don't have all the answers. I have a lot of emotion and sometimes a lot of pain. And why does God let this happen? Second Corinthians 1 3 in the message version, and I don't know if this is a comfort. When you're in despair. All praise to the God and Father of our Master, Jesus the Messiah, Father of all mercy, God of all healing counsel. He comes alongside of us when we go through hard times. And before you know it, He brings us alongside someone else who is going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. We have plenty of hard times that come 
from following the Messiah. But no more so than the good times of his healing and his comfort. We get a full measure of that too. When we suffer for Jesus, it works out for our healing and salvation. If we are treated well, given a helping hand, an encouraging word that also works to your benefit, spurring you on, face forward, unflinching. Your hard times are also our hard times. When we see that you're just as willing to endure the hard times as to enjoy the good times, we know you're going to make it, no doubt about it. There must be mutual support. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 6 says, Christ as son is in charge of the house. Now if we only keep a firm grip on this whole, on this bold confidence, we're the house. Hebrews 3.14 If we can only keep our grip on the sure thing we started out with, we're in with Christ for the long haul. Hebrews 10.35 So don't throw it all away now. You were sure of yourselves then. It's still a sure thing. My wife had a word for me in a prayer meeting the other night, the other morning, about a firm grip. Have a firm grip, honey. Keep your firm grip. When I saw those verses in the Bible, I said, thank you, Lord. The Gospel of John, the Epistle of John, excuse me, says in in 1 John 2.28, And now, children, stay with Christ, live deeply in Christ, and we'll be ready for Him when He appears, ready to receive Him with open arms, with no cause for red-faced guilt or lame excuses when He arrives. I'm not standing behind this pulpit telling you this morning that the fiery trial is easy. I'm not standing behind this pulpit telling you that I mastered the tribulation or the trials that I go through. I can tell you this. My wife and I have been through hell and high waters. Not in our marriage, but through the ministry. We've been laid out in the shade at times. And I mean laid out in the shade. But I can report this this morning. It was the greatest times of growth spiritually in our lives. Because we had nothing else to hold on to but each other and God. And we had to dig in. Just like in a football game when the linemen have to dig in and get that one yard for the running back. You got to plant your feet on the dirt and you got to dig in and get down in that three-point stance. And look at that opponent that weighs 350 pounds and you got to move him for a split second. So that running back can go through that little daylight, that little hole to pick up that one yard. And they're counting on you to dig in. And I can tell you that God is that lineman. And he knows how to dig in when we're at our worst. He knows how to dig in when the tide is above our heads. He knows how to dig in when mud is being flung in our faces. He knows how to dig in. So don't you dare release your firm grip on God. Don't you dare 
release your firm grip on the promises that he's made you. Abraham had to wait a long time for Isaac to come. But Isaac came. And who are we to say when? Or where? Or how? It's not our place. It's our place to call upon him. And call upon each other. This same Paul that the spirit even of life as I close. Wrote the following words. To Timothy. In 1 Timothy 6.12. He said fight the good fight of faith. And lay hold of eternal life whereunto thou art called. And hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. The enemy will try to take you out. He'll throw fiery darts at you. (laughs) But if you can remain with a firm grip and somehow raise that shield with all the power that you have and strength and call upon others to help you raise that shield, you too will be a witness in that great fight. He said in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. I want to be able to say I have fought a good fight. I want to be able to say that I have kept the faith. I want to be able to say that I have finished my course and I have kept the faith that God has given me. Philippians 3, 1, 3, 13 says this. Brethren, he's speaking to us. I count not myself to have apprehended. Paul was saying, I haven't gotten there yet. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We must be like the man in the New Testament. That knew the pearl of great price was in the field and he sold everything that he had to buy the piece of land to go look for the the pearl of great price. There's nothing more important than holding on to God. There's nothing more important than holding on to our faith. There's nothing more important than our eternal life which God has promised to us. And in my last verse, and I love the verse in Jude, now unto him, when your house gets rocked, when you get set back, when things just go awry and the train goes off the railroad track, and you crash and it looks like you're burning, Jude said, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. What a comfort. How many times have we used that verse in our life to call upon God? God, you said that you would keep me from falling. And and that what? And that you would present me faultless before the presence of your glory with exceeding joy. I want to hear well done. I want to hear and enter into the joys of the Lord. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. 
Not a perfect one, but a good and faithful servant. Not pleasing everyone, but speaking the truth. Even in the face of adversity. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. We despair even of life, God. We thought there was no way out. And there are some people that are going to listen to this message on the internet. I want to speak to you this morning and tell you, don't give up. Don't lose hope. There's always somebody that loves you. And that's Jesus Christ. Call upon us. We're not too busy. Call upon us. We're not too busy to hear the cry of the human heart as we preached last week. Don't say to yourself, this is the end. This is the end of the line or the end of the rope. No. Let me remind you to hold on to the rope and not give up. Because there's someone on the other side of that rope that's pulling you up. Pulling you up and saying to you, I love you. And that someone else is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who will come back in his glory to rescue you. Please, hold on. Please, don't give up. Please, don't lose hope. I pray for you right now in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray that God would touch you. I pray that God would heal you. I pray that God's hand would be extended to you. I pray that the comfort of the Holy Spirit would invade your life. I pray that God would give you the angels of heaven to even bring bread to you or cruise of water, whatever it would take. God knows what it would take to get you to the place of healing and salvation and deliverance. I pray right now in the name of Jesus Christ that you will not fall and you will not be a person without hope but that you will turn and look into the face of God and look at him and say, God, thank you for coming. Thank you for the prayers of the church and thank you for your promises. Rescue me from death. Rescue me from being a corpse. God, raise me up in the mighty name of Jesus. And Father, I will praise you and thank you and give you glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, and thank you for listening.